Hey everybody, John Clare here, and welcome to the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. In today's episode, which is lucky number 13, we feature Matt Paxton, who is perhaps best known as the top extreme cleaning expert in the country. You may also know him as the host of the TV show Hoarders on A&E. Matt's also the founder of Legacy Navigator, a company that specializes in helping folks manage through the transitions in life, like downsizing and estate cleanup, like sorting through decades of stuff, moving and ultimately selling a property. As you'll see, this discussion really turned from what I thought was going to be around stuff and the interesting stories that you know you uncover when you unpack a house to really be more about simplifying your life and how to communicate and share stories and transfer the legacies from your loved ones to the next generation. And while we all have lots of stuff, some of which is meaningful, most of it's really just stuff and it's the legacy that really matters. An interesting point to share is that Matt is also the one who got us started in the whole podcast world. A year ago, he was kind enough to show us around his studio and the equipment needed to get a fledgling podcast like ours off the ground. And also an interesting point is that Matt and I ended up going to rival high schools and knowing a lot of the same people back in our younger years. Representing the EvoFi team today on the podcast is myself, Penny Lowbread, and our friend and podcast alum, Neil Patel, who was also featured in episode 11. If you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We love feedback and questions, so drop us a line at EvoFi Podcast, that's E-V-O-F-I Podcast, at gmail.com, or check us out on Twitter or Instagram at EvoFi Podcast. As a reminder, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and a little fun, too. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. With that said, here is the EvoFi team talking with Matt Paxton. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the EvoFi podcast, a finance podcast for humans. This is lucky episode 13. Matt, how do you feel about being lucky episode 13? I like it. Yeah. Stands out. We're lucky to have you here. Uh, Matt Paxton is the founder of Legacy Navigator and the former host of A&E's Hoarders, or yes. can we For, say just host? You could say host, okay. but I haven't done it in a year. Okay. But you can check it out on YouTube, I'm sure. Yeah, YouTube, A&E, A&E. pretty much anywhere. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Anyway, we're lucky to have you, so thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And uh, we have uh, in the room, we've got the, I would say regular EvoFi team, but it's not really regular. Penny, you're regular. I'm regular. I'm uh, just normal. I'm John Clare. I'm relatively regular. Uh, Neil Patel, we have a special second appearance from Neil Patel. You did so well on the last one, you decided to join us today. So thank you, Mr. Patel. Can't keep me away. No. Neil's a friend of the friend of the show, so we're happy to have you here. And mentor of mine. See, this is a perfect connection, so the timing was great. My business partner, Dave O'Brien, is on assignment uh, in Blacksburg, of all places, at the moment. So, hello, Dave, wherever you are. All right, so um, we're going to get into the podcast here in a second, but Matt, uh, as you know or may not know, have you listened to any of these podcasts before? Every one, three times. Nice, okay. So you know what I'm about to ask you. This is something we call the Evo 5. 
think I skipped that part, but okay. go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Well, that's more fun. This it's in every episode. Yeah, it's in every must episode. must have missed it in every episode. But I changed all the questions. All three times. All three uh, times. <laughs> so <clears throat> we like to, uh, and you know what? I should probably back up a second. I didn't even talk about what the topic of this podcast was. I'm so excited to get in. Uh, we've affectionately called this getting your house in order and preparing for life's transitions. Uh, in our line of work, we deal with folks who are always transitioning from different phases of life. And I know Matt's focus is on the, the stuff aspect. And uh, certainly as folks get older and maybe want to downsize or um, have parents who are um, aging out of different phases of life, I think this discussion will be very helpful. Um, so back to the Evo 5. Matt, five questions. What profession, other than your own, would you like to try? I always want to be a weatherman. Weatherman? Oh. How come? Uh, well, I'm a guy from reality TV, so I always want to be on TV. <laughs> Check that off. I think weather is fascinating still. I just I remember as a kid, I'd sit on my grandparents' ranch in Colorado and just watch these storms go across the Rockies. And, you know, and it's just something that can be uh, – this is abstract, but math and weather are like the only two certainties in the world. And I, that's why I love them both. I mean, they're just, they're absolute. And the other thing too is people stay up, stay up for weather. Mm -hmm. They may not like the news. It's exciting. They it's may not, event. but they want to know what the weather's going to yeah. be. You Everyone know? talks about the weather. Well, yeah. yeah and my, I mean, I'm, so I lived, grew up here in Richmond, but I lived in every summer in Colorado, right on the Wyoming, Colorado border with my grandparents. And they had a ranch, cattle ranch out there. And there was no TV. There was a radio. And I mean, they were homesteaders. They built their house by themselves mm -hmm. and they were like old school. I mean, they wanted to put a roof on. They would literally, like, we had to get shingles one year. So we went to the woods, we cut down the tree, wow. we dragged the tree out. The entire summer, I cut the log up for shingles. The next summer, I came back and put the shingles on and they would rotate that every year. Wow. And so weather was a big part of my life out there because it would change everything you did. You, you couldn't go fishing if you didn't get your work done before it rained and it would, the monsoon would come in every day. Uh, El Nino, my grandfather always thought it was some guy. <laughs> and, uh, he <laughs> a horse. Really, yeah, he never understood that. And <laughs> they lived sandwiched between the Rockies and the Continental Divide. The front yard was the Continental Divide, backyard was the Rockies. So what 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 town is it or what city is that? It's, it's called Calgary. Okay. Uh, 80434 is the zip code. Okay. And there is, I think, 30 people left oh, in the wow. town, if that. Wow. Um, it's middle of nowhere, and there's Indian reservations all around it, so you can't develop around it. And so it's really kept pretty pure, and it's at 9,000 feet. So, I mean, it's just as isolated as you can get, and this is the way my grandparents liked it, and weather was it for us. That was I mean, it. That was the exciting. That and the Broncos. Yeah, the Broncos, Broncos, they're finally yeah. good. Are they good this year? I don't even no. know. <laughs> they're as unreliable as the weather, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no better than Auburn. <laughs> this is going to be fun, guys. Okay. This is going to be fun. <laughs> it might, it might right. get worse for us. The nights are out. At least you can count on the weather. No. It's going to be a long day. Uh -huh. <laughs> Matt, what's your favorite word? Oh, gosh. Uh, onomatopoeia. Really? It just sounds cool. Okay. Something you know what it means? No, something to do with poems. Uh, actually, I don't know either. I think I, I should. Like Dave was here, he'd know. All right, no. one of the listeners is going to have to call him on a P. Is that like it sounds with, like? Yeah, it's something to do with poetry. Do you know what it is? Something to do with poetry. It's like the letters. Uh, I don't know. Tell us. How can you spell the word is how it sounds? Like, the word is how it sounds. Like arf. Sure, there you go. Howl. Or pop. Meow. Pop. There you go. Well, there we go. Someone's learned something today. We've all learned a little stuff. <clears throat> You're welcome. All right. <clears throat> I'm interested. Like my job is done. <laughs> uh, what would you do differently if you knew no one would judge you 
<laughs> how so long have you got? You that's where you don't know. <laughs> Talking me. about Matt Paxton. Actually, it's a pretty simple question. <laughs> Neil's known me for a long time. I pretty much do everything I want to do. Okay. Always have, always will. I don't really, re- you I don't really care. No, I don't. I mean, that's your problem if you don't like what I did. That's a mindset I've had for a long time. And what I regret is when I don't do what I want to do. And that's rare. That's good. Yeah. That's a great answer. This is the first time we asked that question. I don't think we could beat that, that answer. I, I think, I, you know, I'll tell the story. I, I'm a storyteller, if you can't tell. When I was a, I was a really young kid, I was, I was actually had my, I remember I was driving my mom across town. I was driving with my learner's permit to piano practice. And I was telling my mom I didn't want to play piano anymore. So I was 15. And I wanted to run track at Midlothian High School, which we're like, right, literally this, this podcast studio is on the land that I used to run, which is so crazy. But I was driving across the Huguenot Bridge, and it was one lane, I'll never forget it. And uh, my mom, she's like, well, you can't, you can't quit piano. Like, what would your grandfather think? And I said to her, I was like, mom, if I fill my whole life with what my grandfather will think, and what you'll think, and what dad will think, and what nanny will think, what all these people will think, I said, there'll be no space for me to do what I think. And my mom started crying. And for years, I thought she was upset with me for that answer. And I later found out that she was had realized she had spent her whole life doing what other people wanted her to do. And I was like, I ain't, I ain't going to do that again. It's a wise statement for uh, yeah. someone with a learner's permit, you say? I don't think I was wise. I was just kind of Selfish. an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but, excuse my language. But, right. but it turned into wisdom. It sounded really smart. <laughs> it turned actually. into wisdom. You can say, at 40, that's wisdom. Yeah. At six, well 15, it's not. It's just plain selfish. Yeah, it's selfishness. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. All right. This is the goat question. Okay. You know what goat means? Great, I didn't. Greatest so. of all time. There we go. I've learned a lot through this podcast. Goat. Greatest of all time. It can be in business, sports, entertainment, music. Who comes to mind for you? Man. Um, hmm. Who's the best at what they do? Man. Stumped him. Yeah, that's kind of rare. Yeah. Well, no, there's a lot of people I think that uh we can come back to that one if you No, want. I'm trying to think I know who it is, the um the cookie guy. Uh Mrs. Um Mrs. Fields? No, that's what <laughs> I was the cookie monster? Doughboy? No, the guy Famous Amos. Famous Amos. Otis Spunkmeyer. I met there you go. Thank you. I met famous Amos. This is again podcasting, here's your story. I met him one time here in Richmond. I was a very young entrepreneur. And I mean, I was 24, 25, and I was actually flying out to Vegas to, to do a trade show. I had no money, so it was kind of a side gig. And this is back when the newspaper mattered, and Famous Amos had come to town because he had sold his cookie. It was his mom's, it was his mom's uh, recipe, and he had sold it to Toll House or wherever he sold it to, and he really felt like he sold out, and it bothered him, so he started a new thing of cookies, and he was in town promoting his new cookies which in translation is like Jimmy Buffett promoting a new album. Okay. Right. Nobody cares. <laughs> they just <laughs> want to hear the original, the original album. Um, but he came in and I, I, I saw him on the news and then I saw him in the paper and he had on this jean jacket that was painted. And I remember just remembering it. This is, excuse me, this is pre-internet. I get to the airport and he's sitting there wearing that jacket. And I said, hey man, I saw you in the news. I saw you in the paper. And I started talking to him. He, we ended up just, by happenstance, be sitting next to each other on the plane. So we flew all the way to Atlanta talking, and I just, I mean, I, was, I don't think I was 25, 26, and I just tried, I was like, well, what do you, yeah, I've seen you wearing this same jacket. He's like, well, I got three of them. And he goes, but I said, you know, I'm a young African-American man, and getting media is really difficult. And he goes, so I've got to be remembered. 
And so I wear this ridiculous jean jacket so people remember who I am. Hmm. And he goes, and you did. You remembered me. Wow. So it kind of worked. And I was a, such a young kid. Is he the greatest salesman ever? No. Um, but he sure made me think about branding I, for a long time. So I, lo I just love simple branding, simple yeah. getting your, you know, your name out. And he, that stuck with me for, I mean, 20 years now. Do you remember what the, his new cookie brand was? No, no idea. Ironically, I think I actually remember when Famous Amos was in town doing stuff too. It's really bizarre that you say that, but it was, it, for me, it was huge. It was one of the first famous people I ever met. Yeah. Yeah. Hence his name. Yeah. Could have been insignificant. Amos. Well, you know, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, he put Maybe a he put a flag in the ground. He put a he put a flag. I mean, that guy was branding himself so early. Yeah, and he said to me, he's like, "Dude, you gotta understand." He's like, "I was a African American man in the '70s trying to sell cookies." He's like, "It was a lot harder than now." And he's telling me that in '99, '98. Hmm. You know, it was pretty amazing. You look back on it. So there's my goat. I don't even know his name. We'll have to Google that later. Maybe I'll put it in the intro. All right, so here's, <clears throat> if you haven't listened before, then you're not sure what this one is. So we do a name that tune section. And real quick, sorry. Yeah. I don't put sports people in that. Yeah. Just I, in general? Yeah. I think sports are overvalued. I think we spend too much time on them. No pun on <laughs> yeah. wow. SEC there. <laughs> there's going to be a big yeah. let's have, let's, strike let's from it. There's meant to be coming. a distraction and entertainment. They're not it's meant to be life. <clears throat> That's I agree. Right. I do agree. Let's, let's, let's keep that tide rolling. Yeah. I sometimes Whoa, have I like that. <laughs> Nicely done. All right, so name that tune, Matt. <clears throat> we like to do it in the theme of the podcast. And um, I'm, a I I'm surprised how few people actually get this answer right. Maybe two or three out of the past 12. We're not going to talk about Lou Rawls. I'm we? not going to mention Neil's the Lou Rawls. The voice of Garfield. Yeah. Lou Was Rawls. he? Yeah, oh, apparently. My kids will love that. They won't know who Lou Rawls is, but um, they love Garfield. All right, so here's the deal. I made it easy. So we got... Easy, medium, and hard. So I've got three choices for you. I'm okay. going to let you pick first. So you want to go let's, easy? Let's go medium. Medium. I knew you were going to do that. All right. It's Michael Jackson. Man in the Mirror? Close. No, it's Close. Dirty Diana. Dirty Diana. Dirty Diana. Dirty Diana. Yeah. Figured that would be appropriate for, what do we call oh, it? The, for uh, context, yeah. I should have done top that. extreme cleaning yeah. expert in the country? The number one cleaning expert, yes. Is that is that the official title that I well, messed I that say, up? Well, I say America's favorite okay. extreme cleaning specialist, which I don't have data to prove that. Um, okay, so your stories are coming together. So I always say I'm the best hoarding clean-out guy in the country. Now, when I started saying that, I was the only hoarding clean-out specialist in the country. So a lot of copycats now? Yeah. There are now, yeah. I mean, look, it was funny. So I used to call myself a cleaning specialist. Then I started going extreme cleaning specialist. Then I said hoarding expert. And every, if you watch the first six episodes of Hoarders, I mean, you understand, when, when I got on TV, I was making 12 bucks an hour cleaning houses. There was no TV show about hoarding, anything about it. And so I didn't even know what to call myself. I mean, pack rat was really the name. Hoarding wasn't a known entity at that point. Everybody had a crazy ant they called a pack rat. Okay. And so I'm sitting there in a, I didn't, I mean, I got asked to do a TV show on a Tuesday. Found out I was going to be a dad for the first time on a Wednesday. They, and then Thursday they said, can you be in Alabama tomorrow? And I started filming a TV show on Friday. So wow. from Monday, I knew nothing about TV. On Friday, I was filming an episode of Hoarders. 
And they're like, well, what do you call yourself? And I'm like, I don't know. So I started Matt making Paxton. stuff. Yeah, I started making it. I said, I said my name and I just kept making stuff up. The first six episodes, I have a different title. And then, of course, now you look on LinkedIn and half the people in the industry are extreme cleaning specialists. Mm-hmm. And it was just some word I threw out. But I knew from my dad was in advertising here in Richmond for 20 some years. He was kind of a legend. And, and it's funny, even that famous, famous story takes me back to it. I knew to start saying from day one, hey, I'm the best in the country at this. There was a old, what's that old uh, marketing book? Um, it's written by David Ogilvy. No, Trout and Sanders. Um, oh, you know what I'm talking about. I'm blanking. And it talks about, it's a, I will have to look at it. We'll go back to it. But it talks about um, being the best at whatever you're doing. And like, you know, they're like, what's the first college in America? Harvard. Everybody says Harvard. It's actually William and Mary. Harvard was number two. I feel but, like we should know that. Yeah. But people, they assume it's Harvard because Harvard says we're the first college and they were, they were the first university. Technicality. Uh, technicality here. But it, this book is, and I should know this, but the book is just riddled with, you know, basically putting your flag on the ground. And so I knew from day one, I'm going to say I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. And even in my speeches, I say, it says in my bio, one of the best hoarding cleaning specialists in the country. And then I yell up to the person introducing me, the best. <laughs> and then it stops the audience. Everyone listens. They're like, oh, man, he is the best. And I've just learned if you tell enough people you're the best, then they start to believe it. So for the first two years of doing it, I, there wasn't anybody else. Was I the best? You could argue yes or no. Well, now I am the best by actions. But the words had to prove it at the beginning as well. So you're the most so trusted the fiduciary yeah. fee-only advisor in the country. Right, John? I'm not sure I can even acknowledge that for compliance reasons. Yeah, see, I have no compliance issues. But I, I, I feel strongly nice. that we're doing the right thing for the for the there people we help. Well, that's what gotcha. you want to <clears throat> And for the record, Matt, I'll give you half credit for that since you didn't guess Michael Jackson. Thank you. Also, for the record, the easy choice was Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. And the hard <laughs> one was the Dirty Boogie from the Brian Setzer Orchestra. I know I would have gotten that. So anyway, you're a good sport. Thank All right, you. so <clears throat> I want to get into your there roots you. first. And, uh, you know, you talked about extreme cleaning didn't exist. And I think the term hoarding, and maybe this is just me as an outsider, but the term hoarding, it kind of has a negative connotation. Absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of people that are listening to this say, well, I, I'm not a hoarder. I don't have a problem, but maybe I need help uh, in a more proactive, uh, constructive way. They're so, collectors. They're collectors. So that's great. So let's take us back to the beginning. There you said go. when you were kind of new guy on the on the scene. Well, actually, I mean, I'll beg, I, went to college, I went to Mary Washington College in Fredericksburg, north of here. Uh, in Virginia, and I actually worked for the Federal Reserve coming out of college. I was an economist for the Federal Reserve here in really? Richmond. Yeah, District 5. And uh, I was really bad at it. <laughs> okay. Like, really, really bad. And so I left, and to tie it back to 13, I moved to uh, Las Vegas, and I what, became an economist for Caesars Palace. What made you bad at it? Um, There was structure. There was governmental. I mean, back then, we had to actually share the internet with, uh, with uh, Cleveland, <laughs> And so we could that alone is a crime. Yeah, no. so we had to share internet connections, so we could only do emails from like this time what? to this time. It was crazy. How old are you? I'm the same age as you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's I mean, government. It was a government agency. Okay. And I was not really meant to live that life. And I knew day. I mean, the first minute, I remember my boss. She's like, "You're always thinking a new idea." I had not embraced being an entrepreneur yet. And I, mean, I was twenty. I was twenty-one years old. Wasn't even twenty-two yet. And I took a. I took this job because I knew that's what the job I should take. It was the right name. It was the right title. That's what you do in Richmond. Yeah, you do what you're supposed to do. And I took the job, and I knew first hour. I was like, "Oh my god, I don't want to do this." (laughs) What have I done? And this guy was like fifty, sitting next to me, which felt like a million years old, right? I mean, my girlfriend's fifty now, right? So that's not old, right? (laughs) You know, but you're thinking like, "My God, like how." 
it just felt so old at the time and, and everything about it I hated it and and I, my mom said you have to give it six months I told her after the first week I was like I want to quit and she's like nope you got to give it six months she's like you made a commitment you got to do it so I did I had to wear a suit and a briefcase all that stuff and so I was like what's the opposite of this <laughs> Las Vegas so I got a job at the Federal Reserve and I or at the at Caesar's Palace and I became an economist for them so explain that I, yeah. I know that's not the topic of the podcast but I'm intrigued an economist at Caesar's Palace yeah, what this does was, one of them do this was 99 we did predictive modeling to do uh, we would actually do use I mean a a more advanced form of regression analysis to actually do predictive modeling on behaviors. So okay. we knew the, the what you're modeling for there is churn, okay. which is time at a table. It's not necessarily win or lose. We don't care if you win or lose. We care how much time you spend at a table. And eight hours is the optimum time. If you get eight, eight hours of a gambler, you're going to win. The house is going to win. Okay. Those places are not pretty because people win. Yeah, <laughs> right. They're pretty right. because people lose. Right. And uh, it was very eye-opening, I'll say that. I mean, I was just in love with the industry and gambling and all the movies and mobsters and all that stuff. And it sounds great, you know, until you're living in it. And at the time, I was so broke, they actually let me live. This is a, I lived on the what would have been the, it was the 14th floor at Caesars, but really it's the 13th. Yeah. They skip 13. So when you're on 14, you're actually on 13. It goes back to not lucky yeah. number 13. Yeah. yeah, it is, tying it back. And it was really cool because they would... Um, for 20 bucks a week you could live there if someone if someone had died in the room then what yeah that was an old rule in vegas if someone dies in the room, they couldn't rent it to the public for a year so people like me would live there for 20 bucks a week and they would do that just to keep the house staff employed uh so i lived on the literally 13th floor wow. of a casino and it was uh as bad as you could imagine and i as a young kid i got into as much trouble we know some of the same people so you can imagine the the, the things we got into and uh Everything you get addicted to, I got addicted to. And I ended up having to leave there. They sent me to Tahoe thinking that would sober me up. And Tahoe's even like more debaucherous than Vegas. Really? It's oh also more God. isolated. You oh can get God. more trouble. It was amazing. It was It's a country town with a casino yeah. in it. It means the town's like 8,000 people during the week and it's 100,000 on the weekends. And it's all about gambling and partying. And got in a ton of trouble, came back to Richmond, had to leave, like literally owed a bookie a lot of money, had to leave. And that's a whole nother 45 you have to minute your conversation. Name? Did not change my name. Okay. Just Pat Paxmax. Pax Matten. Yeah. And I got home, got back to Richmond, and very crazily that summer, my dad, my stepdad, and both my grandfathers died. So bad timing. And that's how I got into cleaning. I had these four houses to go through. And it was horrible. Like it just sucked. And I was miserable and I was devastated. I was grieving. And I had these big houses up in Church Hill and downtown, all these just tons of stuff of the people that I loved. And I was just devastated and sad and stuck, like paralyzed. And I remember just thinking, this sucks. And I had my grandfather's voice in my in my mind. And he was like, if something sucks, do it as a job. Because someone will pay you, someone else will pay you to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I knew from, I mean, I was 24 at that point. And I knew, okay, this is, this is what I got to do. I'm now 43 and I'm still doing it. Yeah. 19 years later, I'm cleaning out people's houses. So you've gone from, from the, uh, the more the hoarder's approach to something a bit more glamorous, would I say? Yeah, I mean, it's all stuff. It's all emotion attached to stuff. I started with hoarders, did that for really 10 years, and did, I mean, I really am the best guy in the country at that. Ironically, I've written a lot of textbooks on it. I've written the, you know, excuse me, educated families on how to deal with both the physical and emotional sides of it. But I didn't start out to do that. I started out to make 12 bucks an hour to eat, right? But hoarding's yeah. a mental illness. Hoarding is right? a straight up mental illness. I mean, it affects what? Yeah. Five, 15, 15 million, just over six, just under 6% of the country is affected by hoarding. It's a massive issue. And it's, it's an a, illness. It's a protected mental dis disorder now, which is really important to understand. And I'm, it's probably one of my, career-wise, it's one of my most favorite moments is I've helped 
make hoarding a protective mental disorder, which means, you know, people that have this disorder can get help now, both mentally and physically, and it's and they're protected. And so, like in property management and housing and things like that, they're actually you can't just kick them out. I think also it helps families get compassion about it. It's not the crazy aunt who, you know, is a pack rat. It's actually the, the more I learned about it, it was, wow, this is an illness, and you and you you know causes you to have empathy for this person going through it and really try to understand them, uh, and uh, you know figure out how you can be helpful in some way for this person who is in a long term form of distress. They're expressing it through material means, but it's distress. It's an illness. So, but that also means there's another 94% that are sane who just have too much stuff and have to deal with it as they're downsizing. So great, great question. Is there a trigger? Yeah. There's always, there's always a reason. Divorce, loss, grief, uh, loss of job, loss of child. I mean, there's something bad has happened to them. So um, sometime in their life in a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's usually actually before they were 18, something bad happened to them usually a lot of times it's it's abuse of some kind, physical or sexual. Um, but the reality is something bad's happened to them and they're looking for happiness and self-worth in stuff. No different than an alcoholic or a drug addict looking for happiness and self-worth in those other substances. Theirs is just stuff. But at the time, when we started this 16 years ago, people just thought it was a subset of OCD. Mm. And so we've come a long way in you know the, the 15 years I've been dealing with hoarding. But yeah, I mean, the bigger issue here is, is the 30% of the country that's that's over 65 and, um, or excuse me, 12% right now, but growing to 30 to 35% over the next 20 years. Um, I've really, really spent a lot of time just helping that population as well, which is, they're not hoarders. They're just people that grew up in a post-World War II, post-Depression America. Where they save everything. Buy, 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 save, save, save. Mm-hmm. Boomers. And boomers and their parents. You know, if you think back, I mean, I talk about this in my classes all the time. This is the last time we have four generations still alive. We'll never have four generations alive. It'll always be three. I mean, my kids have great grandparents that they see on a weekly basis. Wow. I mean, now because we're, we're all having kids l- later. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, when, how old were you when you had your kids? Thirty-five. Yeah, that was thirty-four. Yeah. Exactly. My mom. So when I was, I'm. Well, my kids are are eight, six, and four, and I'm forty-three. Uh, when my mom, when I, when I was nineteen, no, when my mom was forty-three. I was a junior in college. Yeah, same. Different, you know? yeah. Different times. Different so times. Just different times. And so, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people that work really, really hard and they keep their stuff for a million different reasons. Um, but you have the top two generations, the, the greatest generation of the boomers, they have all the stuff and they bought it and saved and saved and saved and saved. And now you have our generation, the Gen X, and then the millennials. And how much of their stuff do we want? Yeah. None. Like, absolutely none. And so we see hoarding just getting bigger and bigger because there's so much stuff that was consumed and not gotten rid of, and now the next two generations want none of it. They want to buy new, and the millennials even don't, they don't even want to buy anything. And so it's really interesting to say we're seeing these houses fill up. And so my new business, Legacy Navigator, we really help families just sort through the, not hordes, I mean, we'll do the hoarding work, but the real, the real job is just helping your grandma go through her stuff mm-hmm. and separate the emotions from it so that she can get out of the house and either get better health care or move into senior living. And do you find kind of doing it with the homeowner, as opposed to after the homeowner passes, are there uh, what, what kind of what kind of mix are you actually I pref- seeing? Yeah, I prefer to do it with. So when you talk about preparedness, something you talked about at the very beginning, um, people rarely call me because they're thinking ahead. They okay. typically call me, "Oh my God, my mom died last week, and I got to find the will," or they call, "Oh, we're moving mom into senior living next week." Um, 
the great calls are, hey, we're going to be downsizing in the next year. We'd love to go through the house and get it ready to sell. That happens more and more now, but it's not the norm yet. Um, it's the stuff that holds people back. Yeah. I mean, straight up. It's If you talk to the senior living facilities, you talk to communities, you talk to the hospitals, everyone's like, yeah, I can, every aging senior is like, I can go, do, I'll move into this community as soon as I get my house cleaned up and I sell the house. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing these massive conglomerate senior community companies I mean, there's one right across the parking lot here. They're not able to fill the beds that they have because people are, are stuck with their stuff. They're paralyzed by They're it. paralyzed or they can't find their will or they can't find their power of attorney. It's somewhere in the house. The great irony too is that while all the stuff is what paralyzes them and they've accumulated it over time and they have uh, you know, a justified emotional attachment to it, from an estate perspective, their house is where all the value is. The house at that point is probably paid off. It's probably what's going to fund their care when they move to assisted that's living it right or wherever. So and the that's care, a big stopper. Yeah, the care is where the biggest expense is, and the home is where the largest asset is. Yet they're worried about the China hutch. Right. There's a lot of emotion with that. Yep. At least to that. Because them. they had all the dinners. <clears throat> right. They had so now, so like our generation, the kitchen is where family happens. Mm -hmm. Kitchen and the dining room, living room. But for our parents, it was the dining room. So, so yeah. for, sorry, go ahead. Let me no, interrupt you. No, it's just, it's funny how ironically, you know, my mom and her sisters fought over everything, the china, the, mm -hmm. the silver, the crystal, the charger plates, all that crap. You know, we fight about not taking that yeah. now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nobody wants that yeah. now. Who, who's going to hurt their feelings yeah. by saying no? My mom asked me for my aunt's china hutch. She's like, do you want it? I was like, no. She's like, but there's, you got space for it. I go, I'm sure I do. I still don't want it. That's a Lego room now. My dining room table is a Lego room. I'm not interested in putting any actual dinner stuff in there. But a hutch might be helpful. To it could store Legos more Legos, in. which we don't need. Yeah. 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 I want to go back to something you said a second ago. So people who are coming to you, let's assume that these are people who are who have not experienced the loss of a grandparent and they have to close uh, clean stuff out post post death. But people who are coming to you proactively, is it are you finding they're coming to you because they need to finance their care? And they need to get rid of the house quickly, or is it because they are literally thinking ahead and they want to downsize, but they're still assisted living or independent living? The answer is yes yeah, to both of those questions. The um, so this generation, we're talking sixty-five and up. The majority that we the, what we see in our work is the majority of them, and you could probably back me up with real numbers here. The majority of them, their asset is actually the equity in their home. You know, their checking accounts aren't that big. They're liquid checking accounts. Now they have investments, and they've done well with that. Um, simple compounding interest is a is an awesome thing to see with these people seventy you know sixty five and older, mm -hmm. but accessible liquid cash they don't have much, and so a lot of times they need to they really need the cash in the equity, mm -hmm. and so a lot of them are now finally realizing that, and that's how they come to us. They're like, okay, we need to you know I'm taking this with me, or my kids want X Y and Z. I want you know I want W, and then everything else I need to sell the assets, and I need to sell the house as quickly as possible. And a lot of them are coming to us that now the difference is the time frame. Are they coming to us a year ahead of time? Right. Or are they coming to us with a week to go? What do you see? Uh, it's 50-50 now. Yeah. Two years ago, it was 90-10. Yeah. 90 on the bad side of that. And a lot of them, particularly post-08, kind of like my mother-in-law and father-in-law, reverse mortgage their houses, yeah. right? They may have taken a big hit uh, post-08. We see a lot of really bad reverse mortgages from 08. And those 09. reverse mortgages are eaten into equity and they the, well, the, they are now trying there to There is no out. equity. They or lose no the house equity. upon death a lot yeah. of times. They they're don't know quite it. Quite quickly, actually. It's yeah, like a day. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's really people impressive. don't realize how quickly they lose their house. And the kids are calling me saying, hey, I, I need you panic. to come clean the house. And I'm like, 
dude, you don't own the house anymore. Yeah. Because I find a reverse mortgage in the house, they didn't even know about it a lot of times, hmm. which is scary when you think about that. Wow. So not to scare people here on this, but look, preparedness is, is I mean, something I preach. I, I preach two things, get prepared, get ahead of it, and two, write the stories down. Um, I find cases and cases and cases of pictures. And every everybody has as a black box or a, you know some kind of box or container full of pictures. And I the rule I have is if you don't know the name of anyone in the picture, you don't need to keep it, because so many of us have generations of boxes of pictures that people look like us. Yeah, they got a top hat on, but they look like you. But I don't know who they are. And it's our grandparents and our parents that are passing away, and they have the stories. And so I really I teach a lot with ARP and with a lot of seniors, and I say, look, it's your ob- the only obligation you have is to write these stories down because if you don't connect with stories. It's just a piece of paper. doesn't matter. So what are some of the tools? You mentioned ARP. Are there certain tools or exercises that people can start doing now? Anything that you recommend? Yeah. What do you recommend? One of my favorites is fire drill. Um, if your house catches on fire, you got about two minutes to grab everything Okay. at best. So I say write on a piece of paper the items you'd want to take with you if your house caught on fire. And it sounds a little alarmist, but and then actually get the stopwatch out or your app on your phone or whatever now, hit it and see what you can get in two minutes. It's at best one item. Okay. Right? Um, that let, and I'm not saying your house is going to burn down, but that lets you know really quickly like what's important, okay. what matters. Um, I say don't try to clean in a, you know, my goal is to educate everyone, at, educate myself out of work. It'd be great if I educated mm-hmm. everybody so much that I, no one ever has to hire me. Um, let's be honest, 20 years ago, when you and I were kids, um, my career wouldn't exist because as grandkids, we just did it because our parents told us to mm-hmm. right well grandkids don't they're off trying to be professional athletes now when they're eight years old and they don't have time to actually go help and do stuff um i say clean every night for 10 minutes don't try to wait till the summer when everyone's available it's not realistic clean for 10 minutes clean meaning night. really declutter, declutter. get rid of yeah. things like start like, going through the closet for 10 minutes every night so don't just, just straighten up yeah no don't just straighten up like start to really go through the closet like you get in your garage and you're like oh my god and people were so overwhelmed and they stop. And I'm like, well, look, it took you 10 years to fill that garage. Like it didn't, it's going to take more than an hour to, to undo it. What are some helpful hints on how to triage when you look at stuff like that? When you spend those 10 minutes, is it in or out or are there different Yeah, I mean, you could get deep into different buckets. I, so the easiest one's get honest. Like yeah. your, your closet's the best way to start this practice. Get in your closet. Um, there's two things there. One, actually, if you turn all your hangers, this is a great time. You're going into Christmas. Uh, first of the year like the day before, the last day of the year, turn all your hangers the other way. So get all your hangers with the um, little curved part facing towards you. So when you look in the closet, but all your hangers have to be going the exact same way. They right? already do that in my closet. Well, yeah, I, then I'm in love with you. That's wonderful because <laughs> that's the proper way to do it. Okay. But turn them all backwards. And then when you wear it, turn the hanger around. And at the end of the year, you'll see what you yeah. actually did and didn't wear. And That's so those fascinating. Size That's a tw- those, simple way to do yeah, it. Yeah, those Very size smart. 28s, the size 30s, the size 32s, even the 34s, you ain't wearing them. Yeah. Right? My 36s are tight. I actually did, I have a picture that I tell in my class, and it shows my closet. There's 30 pair of pants. And when I count them, only three fit me. So 90% of the pants you never in my know. closet. Matt, you never know. Well, I say, I want to work out. I'm going to get back <laughs> into them. Well, they've been turned for two years now. They mm-hmm. haven't been turned. So it's like, okay, I got to get rid of the 28s. Like... I got some hammer pants in there that are not going. <laughs> they may to come be back. <laughs> they are not coming back. Pretty much everything. So it's so that's what, a Halloween costume for your boys. It is a great so Halloween costume. A, You're exactly that's a right. Great one. So then put that in the Halloween bucket and get yeah, it out of your closet. Absolutely. So I mean, little th- and so you hear me using humor. That's really important. Get realistic and get funny about it. 
you know, this, I get so many women, they're like, well, that's my wedding dress. And I'm like, great. It's, it's not going to be worn by your daughter. By the way, you don't have any daughters. <laughs> you know, like, like, why are we saving these wedding and dresses? And your future daughter-in-law is yeah. going to have her own ideas. So just what, what the new daughter-in-law wants, wants right. your dress. My, you know? my future daughter-in-law is 6'2". Yeah, Pretty sure. Not going to work. Yeah, not exactly. going to work. Yeah. <laughs> so I really push on just being realistic and being honest. And that, that gets the clutter down really, really quick. Um, and then I try to say, focus on donation. Like, what could you give first? The reality is, um, I tell the story all the time. My, my son and I ran the Bonaire 5K. Uh, we run it every year. And my son's not much of an athlete. We were running it and barely running it. And he goes, Dad, if we turn around and go the other way, we're in first place. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I like your style. And I take that with me. It's a stretch. But I take it and I say, okay, look, the reality is in life where all of us, uh, all of us are, are, are always ahead of someone. Like there's someone behind you that needs more than you do. And I found, you know, the reality is not many of us really need the money on these clothes. So I try to give them away. Like, can you truly, truly, truly give them away to somewhere better, like a, a domestic abuse place or like, a, I love St. Joseph's Villa. Um, I love Diversity Thrift, places that really need it and will give it to people, not just a retail center. Yeah. Right. Um, if you go through that, okay, honesty, and then how can I make other people's lives better? Um, you're going to get through about half your house right away without even really thinking about it. And then your kids can go through and take what they want because now there's space and then take what they want. And you, know, you don't have to, I mean, I would love you to hire a professional, but you don't have to. If you just get brutally honest with yourself and have fun with it, you can very slowly, an hour here, an hour here, an hour here, you know, and that's where you can get through your house. Now that's where the preparedness comes in. If you wait till the last week, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. How do you help an older, like your mother or your grandmother? Is there an, easy way to get them to do that? Is there an easy way to get your mom to do it? Yeah. Because they're- Hire a professional. So like, is, here's the thing. You, you can't do it. Well, you, usually the, so the person that calls me is the oldest adult daughter. It's always Almost the always. oldest adult daughter or the oldest adult daughter-in-law. It's rarely the son. Even, even when the people are yep. still living? Yep. Totally. Okay. It's always a woman. And what's different in 30 years is, and this is one reason we have a business, 30 years ago, that female was at home. Well, now- that female is a CEO, is a lawyer, is a doctor, has a job. So they don't have time to deal with this, but yet they're still tasked with this. They're still in charge of doing it. And so it's, it still So the men are useless. So the men are still useless. And not to, I mean, jokingly, but no, pretty much. I mean, usually it's really important we deal with the oldest adult daughter and then we deal with mom and dad or whoever's still alive. Um, I forgot the point of the question. Was well, it? I was just asking, how do you help someone oh, yeah. that needs Oftentimes, help? Oftentimes the daughter is not the person that can tell mom. That's what I was thinking is it's, that how do you how no. do you get there with them? So I say pick the easy ones that you can have a conversation with mom on and then bring a professional in for the last five, six items, you know, like her sister's clothes or her first husband's stuff, like things that are too emotional. And like a lot of times, you know, by this by this point in life, um, we see this with most of our clients, the, uh, the daughter, adult daughter and the mom have switched roles. And now the adult daughter is actually the mom and the mom is the kid. Um, and it's a tough place to be in. And so we say, you know, choose your battles wisely um, and, and use the damn sons. Make them, make them fight your battles for you. How do they feel about a professional yeah. coming in? Like, so how does that go? They, we found they, they want a third party, especially like on the dining room and the, and the you know, collectibles and the furniture where they don't want a professional in their bedroom. Makes think sense. About, yeah, think about this. I mean, 85-year-old woman, it's not, she's not comfortable with five young men in her room. You know, 
Um, if she is, I want to hear her stories. We don't want to be cleaning. We want to be listening, <laughs> hanging out and talking, right? I mean, it's we've learned we do not send men into basically 75 and older. We don't even suggest. We say, family, I need you to do this room. Bring the clothes out until it's empty, until any of the personals or uh, delicates is what a lot of the ladies call it. Well, once my delicates are gone, then you can come in. I mean, but again, we keep coming back to it. preparedness. The, the more you prepare for it, the more you just talk about it. And I, I say, if your listeners are... are are thinking, well, yeah, I got to talk to my mom about it, but I don't want to bring it up. Dude, be brutally honest. Stop dancing around it. Stop being so delicate. Just say, hey, mom, you're going to die in the next 20 years. Can we start talking about this? Yeah. Like, it's the reality. Not And don't wait till the last minute. Because this can be more brutal later. The longer you wait, it's going to become a bigger problem. For Trust you. me, they're thinking about Most it. Most likely, right. if you're a male, it's going to be a bigger problem for your sister or your wife. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to turn out yeah. well. For so you. just bring it up and don't dance around it. Don't be like, well, I want to talk to you, but don't make it a big deal. Just be like, hey, mom. All those National Geographics, they're not, they're not, they're not going to sell. And I've, and now this is where people utilize us. We have tons and tons and tons of content. We have over a hundred articles and videos where we tell you what's good, what's not, what sells, what doesn't. I got a new TV show I'm doing on PBS that is basically that. We're helping families understand what's good and what's bad and what's worth keeping and what's not. Both, you know, and managing the auction for it. Managing the auction, but there's an emotional value. There's a financial value. You know what we're finding, really, especially on the new TV show? The financial value doesn't matter. Right. It's I was going to say it's the emotional value. The the it's That's emotional why value. people don't yeah. or won't. No. Now, you have to have money for that equation to work out. If you're broke and you can't even eat on Friday, then you don't have space for emotions. You're just trying to eat, right? I think a majority of our listeners here are in a place where they can afford to continue to live, hopefully. If they're not, call the sponsors of this podcast. Um, but we really want to make sure they are just focusing on the true emotional items. And the rest of it's just stuff, man. It's just stuff. It, I mean, that's the lesson I have in my whole career. It's just stuff. And that's what makes you good at your job. Yeah. It's just stuff. There's no emotional piece to it. Well, we my job is the title to, for the podcast. It's, it's just, just stuff. stuff. Yeah. My, oh, my, my job is to help people remove the emotion from the stuff. You hear, you see me on TV. You see in my books. You see me on this podcast. I use very blunt humor mm-hmm. as a very effective tool Yeah, to do that. That removes the emotion. So let's try and make this a bit constructive for folks who are listening. So let's, let's frame up a situation. So these are people who um, are not forced to sell quickly because their parents are no longer with us. These are pe- people who are our age or in my case, our case, a little bit younger than Penny and Neil here, but, and whose parents are, you know, in their 60s and we're we'll thinking of downsizing. Penny. <laughs> but there's no urgency. There's right? no urgency, yeah. So it's not like, hey, you're going to die in 20 years. That's brutal honesty. But hey, you're thinking about downsizing and moving to a retirement community. So there's, it's not quite as... Right, I've got urgent. it. So let's emotionally, let's mentally, let's frame yeah. this like, um, you know, just like you went to the doctor at 45. Yeah. Right? You're good. You're fine. You're mm-hmm. healthy. You're not going to die. You don't have cancer. But you know, you probably, you probably start walking... 20 to 20 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. You should probably start eating a little better. Cut back on the red meat. Let's focus more on chicken. Maybe don't drink as much. That's what I'm telling people to do with their house. Not, don't go have surgery. Don't go clean the thing. I don't need to clean. Just start cleaning 10 minutes a day, 20 minutes a day. Just start addressing it. Okay. So many families are afraid that, you know, our parents are afraid we're going to come in and say, you got to get rid of everything and I'm going to sell your house tomorrow. And what they're afraid of is you're taking away their freedom. They're not in control of much anymore. And I mean, think if, if you had to call your son to get to work today, every day, and you had to call him to come turn on all this crazy technology and 
every time you wanted to write a phone, an email, you had to call your son or someone in here. You didn't want to bug. I mean, that's where they're at emotionally. They don't want to be bothered. They don't want to bother other people. These are guys that like, and women, that fought our war. They learned to play fly planes. They watched their friends die. They came back. They built the towns that we now live in. They built the banks and the schools. And now everything's been taken away from them. I mean, they're in a totally different mental state. And so when you bring it up, they go to the immediate, you're going to take everything away from me. And so I try to say, hey, dude, chill out, man. We're just here. You don't, hey, dad, I, is there one, one book I can get out of here once a week? You know, just try to baby step it and very slowly get into it and say, hey, we're going to dedicate every once a month, we're going to clean for an hour. Do you find it's more successful to have the siblings involved as opposed to uh, the parents themselves take some accountability? So be, yeah, be brutally honest again. There's the one kid that is going to just be in the way. So just say, hey, dude, you're not, you're just going to slow us down. So that one kid that wants to keep everything, right? It's usually the youngest son. Um, you know, I, it's going to, it's all, it's, I'll be honest, it's always the oldest kid. Who does the falls on? Who does the, who falls on? Why does the youngest want to hang on to everything? That's an interesting observation. No, I think you said the youngest one. The does, youngest, but the one oldest wants, one. No, the, the youngest hoard, one's right? the hoarder. The youngest one wants to keep everything. Oh, okay. Because I think they've yeah. had to work for less. They've, everything's been given to them. I can get into some dangerous family dynamics here, but we typically see that the youngest kid. You know, I'm a, I'm I'm the youngest kid, so I guess I can say that. I mean, life's easier for the youngest kid. It just is. I've got three young boys, so I watch it. Um, the oldest the oldest kid had to kind of you know blaze the trail. And train the parents. And train the parents and do all that. And so we say the youngest kids are just like, well, I'll take it. Well, I'll take it. Well, I'll take it. And the oldest kid's all silent, angry. Well, I, I, they didn't offer it to me. You know, and they get all upset. <laughs> I mean, another issue we're jumping around here is, we, you know, I, I tell the parents all the time, like, get clear on what you want to give your kids and write it down. Do that now. My mom just the other day called me. She's like, look, I need you to come over here and put a tag on everything. My mom's 70. Yeah. She's like, I want you to put a list together, everything you want. Doesn't mean you're going to get it, but I need to know what you want so I can put it in the will. Well, and we've, you know, on a personal side, we've recently gone through this with my folks who are still well and doing fine, and they gave their stuff away already yeah. to us. Great. Way ahead, yeah. you know? And so I think that that's actually, you know, a great way to do it. It doesn't make it any less emotional, but there are no tags involved. It's yeah, just, we call those legacy items, like the piano, yeah. the dining room table, some jewelry. Yeah. Like, you're not, I mean, you're not, if you're waiting to get, my mom does piano, okay? She says, well, when I die, you're going to get the piano. I'm like, mom, you're 70. Like, you're not going anywhere. Your grandpa was 102. Like, I'm going to be 70 by the time you die. I'm not going to want the piano then. And my kids will be in their 40s. And I'm like, if you want us to enjoy it, give it to us now. And watch us enjoy it. That probably was very meaningful. Well, so the side story on that is I actually was speaking at the governor's conference on aging and I had told that story and I didn't know my mom had come to the conference and so she was in the audience and she had never heard me give that class and I got home that night and she's like, I want you to know I am keeping the piano. I do not appreciate, <laughs> I do not appreciate you airing our family business in front of the whole state. But con just have the conversations. That's really, I think, the takeaway yep. here. Like start to talk like, hey dad, you're going to need to move in 10 years. Like let's start what do you want to keep? What do you not want to keep? Let's get and and then I always say chop off the the inflow, man. Like that's the biggest issue. Yeah. Like chill on bringing new stuff in. Where does is this where you encourage people to form a legacy list to decide like what they want to keep, what's meaningful to them or not? Yeah, personally? I mean, sit down. Their parents may or may yeah. not want that. The, the, or the kids may or may not want that. The reality is the cleaning is is really not hard. I mean, we clean most houses in three to four days. You've lived in a house for fifty years. And we knock it out in four days. 
the hard part is deciding what you want to keep, who you want to give it to. And that's, you can do that for free. You don't need people to, excuse me, you don't need people to walk you through that. So, I mean, just start having the conversation. Like, okay, this, like, mom and dad, what do you know you want to give to us individually? Start with that. Mm -hmm. Then, okay, the kids, you need to speak up and write what they want. Now, don't, don't do this. Don't bring all the kids into the room and give them stickers and say, everybody go pick what they want. That doesn't work. That creates a nightmare of a scenario. Mayhem. Mayhem. Let people submit the list to mom and dad and then let mom and dad decide. So I think folks listening can kind of try this themselves first. Yeah. They may find that it works great or, hey, we really would like somebody who specializes in this. What does that look like? It doesn't have to be necessarily you and your company, but what can someone expect from a professional? Yeah, any professional, whether it be my company, Lakes Navigator, or anyone else in the country, they call them, you, you call them in, they should come out, they should give you a free estimate, first of all. You don't need to pay for that. Uh, they'll come in, they'll give you a full plan. Hey, it's gonna, gonna, they should be in the house like two hours to see everything, ask about the attic, the basement, I mean, make sure, you know, the back shed, under the porch, like every area of their stuff, you know, make sure you go to see everything and they'll say, okay, hey, look, for us to go through the house with you, it's gonna cost, and, you know, dispose of the stuff, because really, there's a bunch of formats. There's trash, throw the trash away. And then there's shred all the papers, sort through all the papers, find all the documents, and then move the stuff you want to keep, whether it be shipping or moving, whatever, and then selling all the items you don't want. So do you go through it kind of one by one, like literally you're the wingman and you're sitting there with the yep. owner? We have a guide that is usually a former social worker or an expert on items. Like if there's a specific, um, well, we, had a, we had a family up in uh, Maryland. Actually, Neil and I did this job together. He came and helped us out. This this family happened to have a lot of history in aeronautics. And so we actually had to bring Neil in because he knew stuff about some of the pictures we were picking up and some of the items we were picking up. Yeah, the guy was one of the first administrators of the FAA. He created he the FAA. found the yeah. FAA, and he personally knew the Wright brothers. Oh. So there were Wright brothers memorabilia in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, found a piece of the wing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. two different uh, wow. early airplanes, including the Wright Flyer. There's a little piece of fabric from it framed and signed by a... You know, and letters from Eisenhower, Eisenhower to the dad saying Wilbur, start this. Orville, yeah, we're you know. right. Oh, it's crazy stuff. Yeah, so we had to bring an expert in on that. That's an extreme case, but yeah. we bring in experts that will know more about that, so we know what to go through. You also found what a couple of million dollars worth million, of active, two million dollars in active stock. So in certificate form, just in a safe or yeah. something. Uh-huh. I know, I know Not in a safe. No, no, it was in a. It was actually in a uh, in a in an envelope that said trash. <laughs> he was hiding it, so nobody would find it. And they had not been converted to electronic. Wow. Yeah. It was, actually, the pictures was amazing. So that's, that, that was the pilot you shot then for the new show? No, right? that was just a regular job for us. That oh. was, uh, the pilot was a really was cool it? lady that just had some really neat stuff that her, from her, great-grand, her grandpa and her dad. And uh, she had about 10 items she wanted to find. Yeah. They were somewhere in the house. And it's funny. I mean, that was a, she'd been in that house 30 to 50 years, 30 Yeah, years. and the house itself was 150 years yeah. old. It was older than the Civil War. And then the, there's parts of the house that were built in 1790. And yeah, I found, so, a, I found an 1891 flag. Yeah. 44 stars. Wow. It was uh, linen. Yeah, yeah this was late. I mean, you, you see all sorts of stuff in people's homes, but this woman, she had a lot of things, but she had impeccable taste. Oh, yeah. And um, in this house that looked over a, you know, a big game preserve. I was like, you really know art. Preserve. She's like, well, I, I taught art history at MIT and she went to Wellesley and she was like the curator at a museum in Boston. I was like, okay, so you know a little bit more about art, you know. <laughs> and she stood in her fur coat talking yeah. about, oh uh, she never you took know, that fur coat off. She never took the fur she coat off. So you didn't on. get that out of her, huh? That stand. The fur coat? Yeah. I mean, she never even took it off. Okay. She, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Do you think it was a sign? She's like, you weren't taking this fur coat. Oh man, she, she definitely, I mean, she had some, th- you know, she was old school. She kept her purse on her. She never put her purse down. 
Um, she was an elegant person. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, she's amazing. Yeah, fascinating. but at the end of the day, thirty years of life, she really just wanted about ten items. Okay, and she just wanted to tell the stories. And she was a she, pretty accomplished collector. Yeah. She'd found all sorts of things. Well, what we all didn't, over the world. Ex- yeah, what we didn't expect was it made it made her daughter sit down with her. And I made for I mean, we're filming it. So I said, you have to. The two of you are going to sit. We're going to go through these ten items. And her daughter found out all this history about her family she never knew. It was, it was a real legacy. It was really, really cool. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the stories. That's what matters. And that's what holds people up. Yep. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, my dad's so lazy. No, he's not lazy. He's got some stories he wants to share. Or he's hanging on to associated with that object. Yeah. So he's got some happiness with it. So, I mean, just talk. Like, that's the takeaway, man. Like, sit down and talk to your parents and hear the stories. Listen to the stories. You know, and if you're the grandparent, stop buying Paw Patrol crap. <laughs> Sit down and tell the stories. Yeah. I remember my, my grandfather passed away. Uh, he was a greatest generation guy about a year ago. And I was sitting with him in assisted living. I'd go visit him a couple times a year. And literally one night he just started talking about wartime stuff. And I wrote down everything I could because nobody had ever heard it yeah. before. Those guys never talked about the war. So when they do, you, you, that's your window, man. And then it was done. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he was gone. And those stories die forever if you don't get them. I have a box. Real value. Yeah, I have a box of pictures that my great aunt BB and I were going to go through. And uh, actually, you know, um, Brown Road over in uh, Brown Summit. I don't know what that is. So, where you off of Jank, where you okay. grew up, uh, off of Jank, there was a, a Brown Road. That was my aunt's farm. Her name was Alma Brown. Huh. And we had a box of uh, pictures, and she, we kept playing. We we're going to do this. We we're going to do that. And I got busy with my kids, and then did, and I just, and I never got around to getting them the stories. And she died. And I don't have the stories now. Mm. I said, no, it's just a bunch of paper with people. I don't know who they are. Mm. But she had stories about every single one of them. If you don't get them down, you don't. I mean, so that again, we keep coming back to stuff. The preparedness is not really the cleaning. The cleaning's easy. Yep. I, I say hire that away. That's super easy. It's worth the money. Get the stories down and get clear on what you want to give to your family members and get clear on what you want to take with you. So in, in terms of, and I know we're running short on time yeah. here, but in terms of documenting the stories, what are your thoughts on some of these kind of online tools like Ancestry.com and where you can really do everything from pictures to Dude, stories. if you to- got a lot of time, Ancestry is amazing. Yeah. Um, Legacy Box is cool if you're rich. Um, I'm old school, man. I just uh, get a Dropbox account, just share it, it with the family, and just take pictures with your phone and have it go right to the Dropbox. You're going to have to have your grandson you know, set it up on your phone for you. Yeah. Um, and then I say just the literally go through and just record it. Yeah. Just hit record on your button on your phone and say, okay, well, this is this and this is this and this is this. Cause the, the, the st- thinking that my grandpa's going to sit down and write all this stuff down, that ain't going to happen. Just hand them a digital recorder or hand them their phone and, and have them tell the stories. Do you find that once people start doing it, the kind of, at least in my mind, it seems a bit strange up front to, you know, well, I'm perfectly fine. Now you're telling me to record my legacy. Does it eventually get easier and become more it does. enjoyable? Yeah, oh yeah, it becomes awesome. I mean, I what I've seen work a lot is put your dad or your grandpa, whoever it is, put them in the car and say, okay, take me on a tour. Where are we going? Where? What house were you born in? Richmond, I'm a little biased, you know. Um, but I know the house my grandfather was born in. I know the house my grandmother was born in. They showed me Tantilla, the bar on Broad Street where they met. Oh, that's it was a, a dance hall called the Tantilla. Um, it's right down the street from the Science Museum, which used to be the train station, mm. which is where they got off after World War II. Mm. And showed me uh, Maggie Walker, where they all went to school. And you know, and, I, and he drove me. I drove him around, and he showed me all the stories. This is where we used to hang out. You know, and it's, of course, it's places now that I would, you know, go to his bars or whatever, you know, but like mm-hmm. back then that was their Richmond. And so whoever you are, wherever you're listening, 
take a Sunday afternoon. And I mean, he, t- man, there's a, I tell the story all the time. There was a, my grandmother accidentally told me about a roller coaster at Forest Hill Park. There was a steel roller coaster called the whoop de doo hmm. up by where the farmer's market is now. And they would take the trolley in and they, on Sundays after church and ride this thing. And I'm like, what? You know? And I, my kids heard me tell the story. Then they told that story to their teacher, who's some 30-year-old kid in Richmond. And she called me, and she's like, at Bonaire, and she's like, dude, your son was saying something about a roller coaster at Forest Hill Park. Is that real? And I'm like, oh, yeah, here it is. And I went and I went on the website and found the pictures and sent it to him. And so she was able to tell that story to her whole class. Just because my grandfather told me, I happened to tell my son. Mm-hmm. It's the stories that matter. It's not the physical item. Well, that's actually a great segue, because I think going into this, it was it's all about the stuff. Like, let's have some funny stories about some stuff and all this difficult, but it's really about the stuff you keep and it's the legacies that you share. Yeah. And I think that makes it much more And you do control enjoyable. that. My seniors worry so much, well, I've lost control. Actually, you haven't. You're fully in control of what your kids, what your legacy is. You're fully in control of what your kids and your grandkids know about you. And as long as your brain works. So please share those stories. Control your legacy while your brain still works. That's well put. And yeah, I was going to ask for a couple of the strangest things you've ever found in any of your any of your gigs, uh, just for fun. Liberace's boots. What? Yeah, they were awesome. I bought them at auction. <laughs> they were <laughs> awesome. They're tiny. The guy's feet feet were, I mean, minuscule. Um, you didn't find them in his house, right? You, you, no, the guy's house I was cleaning, actually. He had bought the, the Liberace estate when Liberace died. So I was like, do we have any pianos? He's like, yeah, I got 18 down in the oh. basement. So I had 18 Liberace pianos I had to get rid of. He had the staircase from one of his, st- I mean, it was crazy. Um, I found the suit that um, Evil Knievel wore when he jumped over the fountains at Caesar's Palace. Found the bike also. In the pieces. House. Um, I found, hmm. it was amazing. That that should be in the Smithsonian. Um, actually, the, the, the uh, I thought there was a couple things in that house that you and I did. There was a um, dinosaur head. There was a, uh, I mean, the sheer, the bear bonds from the 50s were fascinating to me. Just live bear bonds. Hmm. I mean, millions of dollars literally I found. Gold bars. Yeah, it was know. a family also that not only had $2 million worth of stock certificates floating around in their study, but that $5,000 worth of change, change yeah, scattered throughout the house. <laughs> Did you take grand. them to the uh, the green machine at the Kroger? <laughs> we had to call Coinstar. We <laughs> were Star. like, we're getting ready to ruin every machine in your in the city. And they're like, no, no, we have a commercial division. Okay. We'll come pick it up. <laughs> but we had to take it back to the lawyer. She had to go through her. She had to inventory everything. Um, I found some Monet's. I found, um, coolest thing I ever found was a set of letters, actually. Um, there was two purses. And it was letters that the guy had written his mother and his wife in World War II. And he would sit down and he'd write his mother and he'd write his wife. And so we were able to put the letters out. His wife thought they had been, I mean, he'd been dead for years and the wife was in her 80s. And the wife thought they had been lost. She knew they existed. And we laid them out. And I watched her read notes from her 18-year-old husband. And she's 80-something at the time. And she's bawling. And so we get to read them. And like the one to his mother is like, Italy's awesome. We're playing golf today. We're going to go shooting tomorrow. It's a gorgeous stuff. We love Italy. And then we read the one to his wife, which is dated like, you know, an hour later. It's like, this place sucks. Johnny's dead. (laughs) I can't stand this place. And I was like, I totally do that to my my mom and dad. We found, I tell you, one of the coolest things we ever found uh, was here in Richmond. We do this all over the country, but we started here in Richmond. Um, We were in Windsor Farms, a very, very prestigious house. We're going through it. And the lady was in her 90s and she kept telling us, well, my grandmother had a halfway house for the Civil War soldiers and it was a safe place for them to 
you know, she had this big Elizabethan story of, of you know, how everyone rested at her house during the Civil War. Well, we found a bucket of Civil War Bibles in her basement, and we started going through them. And the Civil War Bibles were printed on one page, and the back page was blank. And so the guys would use it as a diary. Hmm. And about three pages in, we found out very quickly that this house was not a halfway house. It was clearly a brothel. Oh. And we were able to say to this very prestigious woman of Richmond, we're like, I don't think your mom, your grandma ran a halfway house. <laughs> she goes, what do you think it was? And I told her, and she goes, that's possible. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and those, those Bibles are now at the Virginia uh, Historical Society. How fascinating. I mean, we see history. We see family dynamics. We find, we've, look, every, and this is funny. But I mean, the, the show that Neil and I are doing for PBS Every house has history in the basement. Yeah, it's it true. may not be historical history, but it's history to those people. Mm -hmm. And if you just pause and get the stories, it's really, really awesome, man. I mean, we had we found some. I, I mean, this weekend I found, I was able to tell this one lady I found this thing that her grand great grandfather had carved her grandmother, and she didn't even know that her grand her great grandfather worked at this train line, a very historic train line, the um, the L and N Louisville uh, Nashville line. And it really opened up the coal area. Mm. And we found the key to his locker. He was a train engineer. And we found the key to his locker. And so I was able to hand her a little key that was her grandfather's. And this lady was just, I mean, blown away. And it was a you time. Know, great grandfather. It, it was also the time in the railroads where those guys who had world. those jobs yeah. carried a pistol. Yeah. Because a crowd could get unruly on yeah. a train. Uh, you know. It was really cool. Yeah. So you yeah. find a lot about people's lives, their history, how, what made them who they are and what they find and important. And I think that's the benefit of having a professional in the house is they're going to know enough to say, okay, let's go look here for this. Let's go look here for this. And so it's, it's, it's taking it back to that ancestry.com mm -hmm. just a little further and let's, you know, let's go find a little history. But, you know, it's also important probably to say that not every house is going to be hidden treasure, at least in terms of not financial value, yeah. but, but there's an emotional value to everybody's. It's a treasure to yeah. you. Yeah. Dude, sometimes some your way. mom's yearbook is a treasure. Yeah. Right. I mean, a picture of your mom with braces and zits is <laughs> is, is worth more than anything historical. You don't worry, mind. mom. I don't have your yearbook. But. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you're right. It's not about monetary. It's not about tr you know historic history. It's about what's there's some cool stuff mm -hmm. that's yours. You know, I found my Sega my Gen Sega ninety three. And still to work. me, still worked, played NHL 93 that afternoon, man. It was the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. Nice. I was Wayne Gretzky. I mean, it was amazing. And, and did your kids think you just took out the abacus and playing with know. the abacus? They didn't even know. I mean, they were like, what? Huh? Like it made, that made no sense to them. They're like, that's Sonic, though. And I'm like, yeah. They still have that? Oh, Sonic's huge now. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My I kids mean, are too young to do that. It so. is spending a couple hours in your grandparents' attic or basement will be one of the coolest things you've ever done. And it seems like it's going to be a hassle. If you ask, if you just are open and, and put your phone down and listen, you'd be amazed what you'll hear. Fascinating stuff. I wish we had more time to talk about it. So, Well, thank you for having me. Prepare, prepare, prepare. If you're listening to this, you're already thinking about preparing financially. Now go prepare emotionally. Just set the time aside and get involved in it. Matt Paxson, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll be looking out for your new show on PBS. Uh, any Sometime idea when that's coming? 2026. <laughs> yeah. When we it. If all goes well, probably yeah. next fall. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again. Thanks, you guys. Uh, for all those still listening, uh, remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, at EvoFi Podcast, E-V-O-F-I Podcast, or at EvoFi Podcast at gmail.com. All right, good. Well, everyone have a good one, and we will see you again soon. Take care, everyone. Bye.